Today, the Lord is going to do wonders as we pray. Call unto me, he said, and I will answer thee. What an amazing promise. Call unto me, and I will answer thee. And I will show thee great and mighty things. I want to just talk about the Lord for a minute. What an amazing God to actually hear us. Now, you know, I don't want to get too deep with you, but um, there are seven covenants in the Bible. There's the Adamic, Noahic, Abrahamic, Davidic, then what we, of course, call the New Testament, and so on. But you know what? When you look at every covenant God gave, whether it's dead with Adam or Noah or Abraham or Moses or the children of Israel or David, every one of them, except Moses, spoke of grace and faith. So when God made the covenant with Adam, Adam believed God's promise. That was faith. God gave him the promise of, of redemption. He believed it. There were no rules given to him. There was no hundreds of regulations on how many animals he had to offer daily. Same thing with Noah. Same thing with Abraham. But the children of Israel broke the Abrahamic covenant and walked away from God and worshipped idols while in Egypt. And that's why God had to introduce the Mosaic. And the Mosaic basically was, I'm going to take, take you to court. Because you failed in the Abrahamic, I'm going to judge you. And here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you the most impossible rules to obey. I mean, tough stuff. And if you break one of them, you die. Think about that. If you break just one of them, you're, you, you will have to, you will be judged. And the reason God gave them all these laws and regulations is to wake them up to faith, to say, I can't do it. I'm guilty. Because the law reveals what? Sin. That you can't do it. And what is so remarkable is God said, I'll tell you what. I will become a man and I will obey all that. And I will die. I will take all the punishment that they deserve and we don't need to shed all the blood of those animals I'll shed my own that's God talking so Jesus think about this I love the way Billy Graham used to say it God in the person of Jesus Christ died on the cross God in the person of Jesus Christ was crucified that blows my head that God would actually humble himself to become a man. And what is so amazing to me is the power of the Holy Spirit that did that. Imagine that the Holy Spirit, so mighty, he reduced God into a seed. Knock, knock. He reduced God into a seed. And that seed was placed in the womb of a virgin called Mary and he was born as a baby helpless 
dependent on parents to take care of him. You know, I cannot identify with Adam. I really cannot identify with a man who was not born and was helpless and was a baby in need of a mother. So, who's the real man here? Is the real man Adam or Jesus? Which is the real guy? Who is the real man? Okay, let's just think. Adam, is he a real man? Okay, he just shows up on the scene. Didn't grow up, didn't go to school, didn't have mommy, daddy to depend on. He was created fully grown, fully wise, the king of the globe, all at once. I cannot answer I cannot identify with that. And and he was created, not born. He was created. He had no parents, no lineage, no tribe he came from, no no history. I can't I can't identify with that. But Jesus, God in the flesh, became a baby. Born in a manger, dependent on a mom. And a father whom he called Joseph, who wasn't really his father, but he needed parents. So who's a real man? One who needs parents, that's a man. One who has lineage, that's a man. One who has history, that's a man. One who has to grow up and learn, that's a man. And one who experienced, who, who experienced sorrow. Adam never experienced sorrow. Adam was never grieving. Adam never got sick. Not one day in his life. I can't identify with that. Jesus took upon him our sickness, our pain, our sorrow. What a Savior. Wow. And that's God Almighty. And now he's in glory, seated at God's right hand, interceding for us. And that's why we can pray. Because we have an intercessor in, in heaven who takes our prayer requests before the throne. So I want to just minister the word because we have to understand the hour we are living in, saints. The call of God right now on all of our lives is prayer. Can you close that door behind you, please? We are hearing the sound of the alarm from heaven. We must take it seriously. We must take it seriously. Remember what the scripture says in Acts 1.8, ye shall receive power. But what does the Bible also say in the same chapter? It says, wait till you be endued with power. So everyone, you know, likes to talk about Acts 1.8. But let's also look at at something very, very important besides Acts 1.8. Let's look at Acts 1.4. It says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. So we all want the power of God on our lives. We want to see the power of God descend on our families, on our churches. But what do we do first? We wait. We call upon the Lord. So before he said, 
he shall receive power, he said, wait on God. Wait to be endued with power. So we all sometimes, I think, forget the importance of waiting. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, wrote Isaiah in chapter 40. So the Bible tells us very, very, very clearly, like I said earlier, that God hears and answers prayer. In Jeremiah 33, it says, call unto me, I will answer thee. But let me ask these few questions and answer them. Number one, whom does God hear? What prayers? The prayer of whom? Number one, the Bible says, the humble. In Luke 18, beginning at verse 9 through 14, the Lord Jesus talked about two men in the temple. One who beat his chest and said, have mercy. And one who was boasting about how much he fasts and how much he gives. And he said, because of that man's humility, he was heard. So we know, number one, God hears the humble. If we want our prayers to be heard, we must humble ourselves before the Lord. Number two, whom else does God hear? Psalm 34 answers the question. And verse 15, and these are very wonderful scriptures. It says, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. So the second group God hears are the righteous. Quite simple. Number three, who else does God hear? Psalm 145 answers that question. Because we have to qualify to be heard. So Psalm 145 and verse 18 says this. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, verse 17 says, and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh, verse 18, the Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. Verse 19, he will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. So he hears the humble, Luke 18, verse 9 through 14. He hears the righteous, Psalm 34, 15, and 17, by the way. And now it says he hears those who fear him. We have to fear him to be heard. Verse 19, he will fulfill, Psalm 145, 19. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. And he will also hear their cry and save them. And then there's, there's another group, and that is in 1st John chapter 3 and verse 22. It says, whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So God also listens to who? Those who please him. Whatsoever we ask, we receive because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing. So if I want God to hear me, I must be humble before him. If I want God to hear me, I must be righteous before him. 
If I want God to hear me, I must fear Him and please Him. These are what God gives us. These are the headlines of whom does God listen to? Very clear in the word. You can't add or take away from it. You must be humble. You must be righteous. You must fear the Lord and please the Lord. Four qualifications to be heard. Think about what your life would be like if you qualify to be heard by God. Every prayer would be answered. No prayer would ever be be denied if you humble yourself, if you live righteously, if you live fearing the Lord, revering Him, if you live pleasing Him. And these are very easy. Very easy. The commandments of the Lord are not difficult. Not at all. If we surrender to Him. Now, the minute we qualify, the Bible says that prevailing prayer is possible if we are we are abiding. So that individual who is humble and righteous and fears the Lord and pleases the Lord must be a person mentioned in John 15. That is the same person. This is not an added condition. No, no. This is the person I've just been talking about all along who's humble, who's righteous, who fears the Lord and pleases him. Jesus said in verse 7 of John 15, If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will. That's a massive, massive promise. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will. It shall be done. So this is a great secret to Prayers being answered. And what Jesus is saying to us here is something powerful. He says, like a branch has no independent life on its own. So, where even when we are abiding like this in him, just like a branch that has no independent life, even our prayers then, even our prayers become the outcome of the life of Jesus in us. So when someone prays who is humble, righteous, fearing the Lord, pleasing the Lord, what are these? That is the outcome of the life of Christ in that individual. Because he's the one who's humble and righteous and fears and pleases the Lord. So the key is connecting my life with his. Then I can be humble. Then I can be righteous. Then I can be one who fears the Lord. Then I can be one who pleases the Lord because I am abiding in the Lord. Now abiding in the Lord is the practice of God's presence. It's where you acknowledge him when you Open your eyes in the morning. 
you acknowledge him all day long, you talk to him while you're working, driving your car, you talk to him when things are chaotic around you, there's peace within you, you're, you're alone in the midst of chaos because you're connected heart to heart. So continued fellowship is really the key to prayer. We should not pray only when an emergency arises. That's why the Lord talked about daily communion. Because daily communion will keep troubles away. Daily communion will keep emergencies away. Because a lot of people only pray when there's troubles in their life. We can keep troubles away when we pray continually, when we abide daily. That doesn't mean that problems will not come. It just means they won't affect us. They won't affect our peace, our union with the Lord. It doesn't matter. We are disconnected from the world. And the things in the world don't affect us whatsoever. Great peace have they that love thy law. Nothing will offend them. Nothing will affect them. So, that beautiful uh, oneness, there's, there's things that happen as a result. So, when there is that, that kind of prayer, life, that oneness with the Lord, where you're in continual communion and God is listening to you because you're abiding in the Lord and because of your abiding, these beautiful qualities come out of you. You're humble in his presence. You're righteous in his presence. You fear him continually. You please him continually. It's not you doing it. It's the Lord in you do that is doing it. It's Jesus in you because you've surrendered completely to the Son of God, to the Master of Glory. Now, the minute you have done that, and yes, it's possible, and yes, it's reality, that's the real Christian life, by the way. The Christian life is not where I only connect with God when I'm in church. The Christian life is I'm connected when I wake up, I'm connected when I'm walking around, when I'm working, I'm connected when I'm sleeping at all times. And something begins to happen to you. This kind of life, the first thing you notice is God reveals you to you first. Do you remember Isaiah? He said, I'm, I'm, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Or Peter who said, depart from me, I'm, I'm a sinner. The minute the lights come on, the first thing you see is how weak you are. How corrupt the flesh is. How dependent you become on the Lord to carry you. To live his life through you, because you can't do it. And you come to this conclusion, O wretched man that I am. Who will, del- who will set me free? Who will deliver me from this body? Now, you know, 
I think we have to do certain things to have that kind of fellowship. Yeah, there is there is a price. There's the, the, there's a price, and and you know, Billy Graham was asked a question before he died by a reporter. And the reporter said, if you had to live your life all over again, what would you do different? He said, I would not have traveled as much. I would have spent more time in the scriptures and with the Lord. I said, that's the only thing I regret. Now at my age, I wish I could go back and not accept as many meetings, spend more time with God. When I heard that, when I heard that years ago, I said, okay, thank you. So now I'm doing that because I heard the man of God say he had wished he would have spent more time in the scriptures. Mel and Nikki was sitting with me in California over five years ago. And she said, I just told her what an amazing Bible teacher she is. You know, Benny, she said, I read my Bible three times every year. She said, I don't believe in reading it one time. I read it three times. One time through every four months. And something leaped in me and I said, I'm going to do that too. And I've been doing it since. And the change that's come to my life, the change that's come. You know, I got up a few days ago. I was in Houston. You were there. And I took the mic. And one of the pastors said to me, there's something about you that's changed. There's something that's different. I said, yeah. I'm going to finish right. I'm going to, I said, I'm focused on finishing this race. Well, I will not get to heaven and be rejected. I have made up my mind. I will finish well. Meaning, I have to cut things off. There are battles I don't want to fight anymore. It's not worth fighting. So, and it, and they're not my my battles. If I can be real raw here, the church has become so divided over the vaccine. Can you believe that? The madness of that. They've become so divided over COVID. They've become so divided over politics. They become so divided about things that we're not to even be a part of, not even to be connected to. That's not the Bible that I read. The Bible I read tells me that Paul the Apostle said to the church under severe persecution from the Romans, to pray for them. While Nero was killing believers, 
while the Roman emperors before him and after him were killing the saints, he said, pray for them. Pray for them. I don't hear that much today, do you? All I hear is, on whose side are you? The attacks against people in authority today in this country is unchristlike. It's not the Lord that I know. They fight. And they'll fight you if you dare mention something that they disagree with. It's dividing churches. It's dividing families. It's dividing husbands and wives. It's causing divorce. People are being cut off, cut off. I have a friend, a dear friend in Canada, a mighty man of God, who sent me a text a few days ago. He was cut off. I mean cut off by another pastor who put curses on him curses on him for getting the vaccine. He's an older preacher, wanted to protect himself. So he got the vaccine. That's his choice. What's going on here? What what is this? Communism? The Gestapo? He was just, he made a decision, which is his right, whether you agree or don't agree, we have rights People have rights. Individually, we can make decisions without being told what to do with our life. If we make the a mistake, we pay. If we make the wrong choice, we pay. Yet I believe with all my heart, God will protect us in whatever choice we make. But when a pastor puts a curse on the phone, curse the man with death, Because he got the vaccine. I'm thinking, what's happening to the church? Have they lost their mind? Some of them, I think, have. You see, what happens when it becomes so political? Dear God, they forgot all about Jesus. They took Jesus out of the picture. It's become so Forgive me. Worldly. Chaotic. That's why tonight we're praying. That the church will come back from the dead, some of them. Not all of them. You know, like Paul said, awake from the dead and Christ will give you life. I don't know. That's not the world I came from. That's not the life I came from. When I got saved, all we heard from great people of God is, give it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus. It was the crucified life. It was the abandoned life. It was the life that depended upon the Lord. Nobody preached politics. Nobody thought about the things that don't matter 
to our faith, to our faith, they don't matter. And I think the Lord, you know, what you want us to do is abide in you. Live the life you've given us. Have that peace that passeth all understanding. But what do we do? Well, Paul the Apostle gave us the answer. A soldier of Jesus Christ should not be entangled in the affairs of this life. That's it. If you're a soldier of Jesus, don't be entangled in the affairs of this world. Die to them. We don't belong. We're not, forgive me, but we're not citizens of the earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. And if our citizenship is heavenly, our conduct should become heavenly. Our life should become heavenly. You know, I'm going to stand on that day on my own before the throne, before the judgment seat of Christ. I will stand alone, and so will you. And so will you. I'm going to have no one defending me. I'll have no one saying, oh, poor Benny Lord, help him and be. No. There will be no repentance on that day. Repentance is now, here. There will be no repentance on that day. Those tears will be too late on that day. So we prepare today to meet the Lord then and have confidence that we will not be rejected. We will not be cast out. We will not hear him say, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. No, no, that won't, that won't happen if you do what he said to us. And what did he say to us? If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, carry his cross, and follow me. He said to the rich young ruler, who said, well, How do I receive life? Well, obey the commandments. Well, I've been doing it since I was a kid. If you want to be perfect, if you want to reach perfection, sell all you have and follow me. No, I can't do it. And the Lord said something very important, very important. It's not money. It's about being a slave to it being controlled by it. So that man was controlled by his money. He won't give it up. He he could not see the value that the Lord was offering him to follow the Lord with pleasure. All this stuff means nothing. It means nothing. Covetousness is a sin. Thou shalt not covet is in the commandments. It's a sin. When God asks us to give our life and our all, he gives it back to us. Blessed. Multiplied. So Peter said to him afterwards, 
We've left all to follow you. Now, there's, there's a man who walked away because he couldn't give, give it up. And Peter said, Lord, we've left all to follow you. What, 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 what's going to happen to us? No man that has left families or homes or land will not receive a hundredfold in this life. So the answer to that young man is if you said yes, you would have gotten much more back in this life. Following Jesus doesn't mean living in poverty. Following Jesus means you'll have no lack, not one hour in your life. You can lose that money like that. But when you give everything to the Lord, like Peter said, we've left all. We've left everything. When the Lord called Peter, when the call, when the call came with Andrew, and John, and James. They had gone fishing. Those boats were almost going down under. They had to call for friends to help them. Fish everywhere. And Jesus said, follow me. Not one of them said, Lord, can we please go sell the fish first? That's a lot of money lost. Not one of them said, let's go sell the fish. They left the fish. They left the boats. They left their families, and they came after him. And the same man, Peter, Peter said, when he heard him tell that man, when he said it's harder for a rich man to go to find the kingdom, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of, of a needle. And you know, I've heard all kinds of, all kinds of sermons out the eye of, of a needle was some gate. What are they talking about? Jesus was saying very, very clearly, if you trust money, you cannot trust the Lord. If you lean on money, you can't lean on God. So when Peter heard it, he said, Lord, we've left all. No man that has left, but it's going to get a hundredfold in this life, with life eternal. That's the Jesus I know. And all he asks of us, abide in me. And I will abide in you. Abide in me. And my word will be in you. And when that happens, God will reveal you to you first. And you will break a broken heart he'll not despise. And the next thing you'll see, that kind of life, the Bible talks about in Psalm 19. It says, the, the second we are in fellowship with God, David said something powerful. I'm going to read it to you in Psalm 19. Because this is not possible in, in our own strength. I think this only happens when you live that life of oneness with the Lord. So David asks the question in verse 12. Who can understand his errors? Who can understand his sins? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. You know, my the greatest fear in my life, as it should be in every believer's life, lest we fall. Take heed, he said, take heed lest you fall. So you come to the place to say, Lord, I trust you for your word says, you're able to keep me from falling and to present me before your throne 
without blame and with joy. I cannot trust myself. David here gives us an amazing answer. He saw in the spirit the answer. He said, who can understand his sins? Cleanse me from secret faults. Cleanse me from from those sins I don't know I've committed. I have not had a, a chance to confess them because I don't remember them. And then he said, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. And watch this. Then, then will I be upright and I will be innocent from what? From apostasy. The great transgression is apostasy. I won't fall then, Lord. I want to stand straight. What is he doing? He is saying, Lord, I surrender. I want you to live in me, and I want you to live through me, because I can't live the Christian life. You keep me back from sin. You cleanse me when I don't know I've messed up. You keep me back from presumptuous sins. And make sure they have no dominion over my life. And then I will be ready for that day to stand before you and be accepted. Then I'll be upright. And I will not. And I will be innocent on that day. He said, then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent. Wow, what a glorious promise. If I live that kind of life. So here I'm, I'm looking at this amazing secret. And there's another secret. When I am in that fellowship with God and walking with Him like I've been talking about and communing with Him daily, then something will happen. In verse 15 of Psalm 17, it says, Hold up my going. Hold up my going in thy paths that my footsteps will not slip. What a great thing God does for us. That when we are united to him, like that branch united to the vine, connected to the vine, he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, just stay connected. Just stay in me. The minute I surrender like that, the Bible says he will hold, he will literally hold up my going. In other words, he will cause me to walk with him when I can't. He will hold me up. You know, one of the greatest prayers of David, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Because I can't do it. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy that I lost when I sinned with with Bathsheba. And then he said this, Hold me up with a willing heart. Hold me up because I can't hold myself up. I don't trust my own heart. Then, then, I will teach transgressors your ways. Then, Sinners will come to the cross. 
It's every one of this and these is is uh, dependence on the Lord. It's not saying I'm going to do it. It's saying it's saying Lord, please do it for me. I can't do anything on my own. I'm not strong enough to live the Christian life. I mean, imagine saying in Psalm 141, verse 3, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips because I can't keep my mouth shut. Help me control my tongue. What kind of life is that? The surrendered. The life of communion. So you know exactly what a man is walking with God because he's controlling his mouth. He doesn't say things that hurt and grieve and wound people and all the rest of it. By the by, the words, you'll know them. Come on, please. That man who puts the curse on the, the other preacher, what kind of spirit is that? That's not God's Holy Spirit in him. No way. I'm sorry, you know. I'm too old to care anymore of what people think about me. I don't really care. I care about one person only and what he thinks. His name is Jesus. That's the only person I care about what he thinks. If people don't like me, it doesn't matter. I'm going to love him still and be sweet. It's in the hands of the Lord. It's just the way it is. Open thou mine eyes. Psalm one nineteen eighteen. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Oh, how the Lord has been doing it with me lately. I can't open my own eyes. I can't give myself revelation truth. Only a life of prayer and surrender and communion can produce such things. I'm giving you all this in hope that God will make you so hungry that you'd say, I want that. Well, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you something. The Lord Jesus knew the power of prayer. It's amazing. In Luke 3.21, he begins his ministry in prayer while being baptized in the river Jordan. And in Mark 1.35, it said he would be up early to pray before anyone got up. Why? Because he knew the importance of that connection with his Heavenly Father, that oneness. And that is what kept him, kept him, kept his life Sustained and protected. You, when you sometimes may read something, you know, uh, and and we're not kind of we we don't connect it together. But let me read something for you from Luke chapter six and and verse eleven. This is quite revealing, and it says they were filled with madness, the Pharisees communed one with another that they might, what they might do to the Lord. They were ready to destroy him. What did he do? It came to pass in those days he went into a mountain to pray and continued all night. So rather than fighting them, he prayed. And by praying, he kept himself safe from their plans. 
because one verse says they were filled with madness, rage. Luke 6, 11. And they said, we, we need to stop him. They were wanting to destroy him. What did Jesus do? It says he went to a mountain. Next verse. He went to a mountain to pray and prayed all night long. He dismissed the whole plan of the devil by praying. His oneness with God canceled the plans of the enemies. Think about what I'm telling you. You have a problem with an enemy? I just gave you the answer. Don't fight them. Get on your knees. And the bigger the battle, the longer you pray. He had a big battle on his hands. The, these, that, that whole group wanted to destroy and stop him. Before the work of the cross, they tried to kill him. He prayed, and the whole thing fizzled out. They couldn't do a thing. And now you, you, you also see, you know, in the same chapter, same uh, next verse, it says, And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose twelve. So not only did he dismiss the plans of the enemy by praying all night, but that's when he made all his decisions too. And you have to put that together in the word of God, you know. It's amazing. For example, in John six fifteen through 21. Let's just look at it quickly. I'm almost done. And then we're going to pray again. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. I give you praise. All right. And verse 15 says this. When Jesus therefore perceived that he, they would come and take him by force, make him a king, he departed again into a mountain alone to pray so the plan of God would not be destroyed by these people forcing him to be a king of a kingdom that wasn't ready for him, nor him for it. So not only was the plan of salvation saved, but later something else happened. Something else happened. Not only that, but it says that his disciples entered into a ship in verse 16 and 17, and a great storm hit in verse 18, and now Jesus comes walking on the sea, and what happened? They received him, and it says, and immediately, verse 21, immediately the ship was at land. It was trans, uh, you know, went from one place to the next. It saved their life. So prayer not only saved our salvation, prayer saved their life when the storm hit. Because it says he went alone to the mountain. Sometimes you miss those golden nuggets in the Bible. They come to make him king. He goes to the mountain and prays. So that whole thing fizzles out. And now he walks on the, on the sea, a storm hits, and the whole boat goes to the shore by itself. What did it? Prayer. Prayer saved the plan of God and their life. I'm going to show you one more. And just gently on the instruments there, please. If you put John 6.44... With Luke 9, 18. 
And with Matthew 16, 13, you find something marvelous. But first, John 6, 44. I want to show you something. I'm going to show you something maybe you've never, never, never seen. A few bells behind me would be beautiful, Bruce. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And I'll raise him up at the last day. So notice the words. No man can come except the Father draws him. And I'll raise him up. All right. Now we go to Luke chapter 9. You have some bells in that machine? It's okay, it's okay if they don't. All right. Oh, there you go. That's the piano. I love it. And verse 18. It came to pass as he was alone praying. Now just notice what he said in John 6. He said, no one can come except the Father draws him. Right? Now it says, he was alone praying. His disciples were with him. And after prayer, Matthew doesn't tell us that, but Luke does. After prayer, he said, whom do men say I am? After prayer. Now we go to Matthew. We put it all together. And we look at chapter 16. We look at verse 13. And Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi and said, Whom do men say that I am? But don't forget, he was praying just before that. That's what Luke said. He was praying. Before he said, Whom do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say one of the prophets. Who do you say I am? Peter spoke. You're the Christ. The son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon Bayona. The son of Bayona. That's what the word Bayona means. The son of Yona. For flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my father which is in heaven. Now what happened there? Ah, Jesus praying revealed Christ to Peter. Because it says he prayed in Luke. And then he said, who do you say I am? So what did he pray for? He said, reveal me to them. Because Peter didn't pray. Peter didn't know. Why the Lord said, who do you say I am? He spoke and said, you are the Christ. And then he spoke that flesh and blood had not revealed this to you, but my father. Why? Because he was talking to him. So prayer not only draws Peter, prayer reveals Christ to Peter. And I want to show you something else. It's prayer that later, that later did this. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan had desired to have you that he may sift you like wheat. I've prayed for you. When? In Luke. Back in Luke, remember? He prayed, he said he was praying and said, who who do you say I am? You are the son of God. And then Jesus said, 
flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter. And then he said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom, guaranteeing he's in. And then in Luke he said, later he said, the devil wants to sift you like wheat, but don't worry about it. I already prayed for you. So three things happened from what we're told. Prayer brought Peter to the Lord. Prayer revealed the Lord to Peter. And prayer kept him safe from the devil. If Jesus knew the power and lived it, and that's what should happen with each one of us. So I'm going to ask you a question. Are you facing a war? Are you facing danger? Like David one time faced danger? Look, look, look at the, at the danger he faced. All right? How are they, Psalm 3, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Are you like that? How are they increased that trouble me? I'm going to read it. How are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. He had enemies, didn't he? Big ones. He said, Lord, all my enemies are growing. And many of them say, verse 2, there's no help for him. Nobody can help him. He's through. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried unto the Lord. There's the key. I cried unto the Lord with my voice and he heard me out of his holy hill. And now I can sleep. Verse 5 says, I laid me down and I slept. I awaked for the Lord sustained me. And the same man who said in, in verse 1 that his enemies were multiplying, he said, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me. Round about. In verse 1, I have lots of enemies and they're growing. And they're saying, no help for him in God. He's through. But Lord, I cried to you. I cried unto you. I called on you. And now I can sleep sweetly. And Lord, I will not be afraid if there's thousands of them. Because now all is well. I can sleep in peace. That's what prayer does. The key, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. He heard me out of his holy hill. Father, in the name of Jesus, come on, let's lift our hands and pray just for a, a, a few more minutes, all of us. Lord, you know the people on Zoom and on all the other platforms who have trouble right now, who have enemies, and their enemies are growing, Lord, just like David's enemies were growing. But you gave us the answer, Lord. You said, if you cry unto me and call on me, Lord, those enemies will be silenced. And Lord, I pray with every one of them now that whatever enemy they're facing, and I don't care how many of them they're facing, 
as they call on you today, as they call on you now, and continue to call upon you throughout the week. Like David, they, they, they will say, I will now lay me down and I'm going to sleep. The Lord has sustained me. And I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that will rise against me right about. Because all is well now. Jesus has solved my problem. So Jesus is coming, huh? Very quickly. And this is the time to secure our tomorrow financially. Why? Because before the coming of, of the Lord, there's, there's going to be a financial collapse on earth. You can't be spending trillion of dollars in this country printing money that doesn't exist. There's nothing to back it up without leaving debt for our children and children's children and their children in the trillions of dollars. The economies of the world are going to collapse. The Bible tells us How do we protect ourselves? By sowing today in the work of the Lord, by being faithful today. A faithful man will abound, will abound, that's future, will overflow with blessings. The wealth of the wicked will come only if we plan today and prepare today and sow today. So when we sow seed, Not only will the harvest come today, it's going to keep coming. For many years to come, it's going to keep coming. So this is not the time to hold back. This is the time to give with faith in our hearts. Wrapping our seed with faith is the key. Expectation will bring the harvest. We expect it. Like the farmers expect the har- the, their harvest when they sow in the natural. And think about a farmer sows in faith. He, he doesn't know how that seed works. He simply plows the land and sows the seed and waits. And as sure as the sun rises, that seed will produce. And every unbeliever, heathens and atheists expect the harvest. And we believers, we expect the harvest also with faith. But our faith is alive and well. Our faith is by the Spirit. Theirs isn't. Think about what God will do with your seed. Money becomes a seed in the hands of the Lord when you give it to Him. This is the time to sow. And the time to prepare. That the future will not affect you when it comes As it says in Ecclesiastes 11, verse 2. It says, when you raise your seed, give a portion of seven, also of eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. You you don't know the evil coming. You'll be protected today from it. So give with faith, with joy and expectations. And you can sow your seed right now. Benihin Ministries, you can do it. On the platform you're watching me on, you can do it by going to benihin.org, on our website. You can do it right on your phone by texting BHM45777.